Wow. Is that like is that like South Park? No, Jonathan Park was like stuff for homeschool kids, right? Yep. Well, it's definitely not South Park then. No. No. Oh, really? You're not? Oh, it's not North Park either. Both of those are bad. Hmm. For for homeschool kids, that is. I used to let my kids watch The Simpsons. There's nothing wrong with The Simpsons. Oh man, Ned Flanders is awesome. Homer, Mr. Burns, Homer, Homer. The entire, the entire cast and crew was amazing. See, like one thing, I, I was watching the special with Homer. Like he, he take told their whole refrigerator is full of eggnog. That is like heaven for you, isn't it? I love eggnog. I hate eggnog. Oh gosh! And so the whole refrigerator is full of eggnog, and Marge is like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "There's only thirty more noggy days till the government takes it away." And I didn't realize, I mean, he could probably have his own conspiracy show because it's a government conspiracy. That eggnog is gone. I mean, after January, it's done. I, I think that it's probably God's grace that eggnog goes away for 11 months of the year. No, it's government forces. It's the Illuminati. I'm telling you right now. You might think so. I think it might be God's sovereignty. One of the greatest failures of the Obama administration. Twinkies. Yeah, they let Hostess go down. I mean, they're, they're trying to save like GM. So Hostess came back, but their Twinkies are like 40% smaller. That Again, they're doomed again. We need to bring them back to their former glory. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, the, the it's a bad name, but it's a great snack food. The Ding Dong was also a Hostess delight. They were so good. There were some... There Only was... the ones that came in the tinfoil, though. The little uh, hockey pucks. Little, little hockey puck goodness. Ha! I just caught you. What? You use an expression that's an old person expression. What's that? In fact, you weren't even alive. You caught this from your mom. Hmm. Tinfoil. Aluminium foil? Yeah. My parents called it tinfoil. I called it tinfoil. And I thought, Wendy, this isn't tin. This is aluminum. Yeah, I guess or there is a difference, huh? Aluminium for our British Well, I folks. did I did live in England as a kid. Aluminium. You should have totally kept the accent, bro. I tried. Uh, you you know, I also spoke French when I lived there. You know how smart a person can sound when they have a, you, an accent? You instantly get 50 more IQ points if you yeah. have a British accent. It's the perception that you're intelligent, well-mannered. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you could be the worst drunk on the planet, but if you've got a British accent, you're pretty smart. Okay. Because but, I, I heard that, I think Winston Churchill was a pretty good drinker. Once or twice. Probably. And the, But then that can work against you. Like, you come over here to to the hood... Is is America the hood? You, well, compared to Great Britain, because you come over here and it's like people got guns, and they go, "Oh, he's from Great Britain." They don't have guns over there. Gonna, that is that is one of the striking things. I am going to beat this guy up. I know he doesn't have a gun. The yeah. the cops, the bobbies, they have this funny little hat and a club, but no gun. Ooh, don't hit me with your hat and your club. Maybe they have guns now. If they had, yeah, that I think it would be a good idea. Well, this is Pastor Mark and Pastor Miles, and we are back to. <laughs> try and answer some questions from this last Sunday. We might even get to some of them. We we have a series of questions, like actually good questions. I like them. They're all good questions. Um, yeah. So we were back in Second Timothy. You started us off last or two weeks ago. I continued to write along this last weekend. I enjoyed the sermon. I still can't say the word tertiary. That's a good word, tertiary. Yeah, tertiary. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. You just have to say it when you when you have a hard word, you just have to say it quickly, because then you might say it right, and no one's going to really know. Tertiary, 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 tertiary. There we go. Tertiary. Yeah. Primary, secondary, tertiary. Tertiary. Yeah. 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 Touche. Yeah. Third in order of level. Groovy. Groovy. I'm just going to say third. Yeah, we could say third. Or Primary, trace. secondary, and thirdiary. There you go. Or for trace for our Spanish-speaking you can't. Fans. You can't really say it. It seems, like, it seems like it should be that. Primary, secondary, thirdiary. It should, if it yeah. made sense. Tertiary. That's why English is so hard to learn. So we were in Second Timothy chapter 2, and um, we talked about a series of things, including being diligent to present yourself approved to God mm-hmm. as a workman who's not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So uh, that's a great passage of scripture and a great verse. No thoughts on that? <laughs> There's so much truth. I was just overwhelmed. You were meditating. I w- yeah, something like that. I no. I I I. How many really hardworking people have you seen succeed over the years that 
aren't necessarily don't have huge gifts, but sticking with it. And I think there's a lot of sticking with it when it comes to learning scripture, learning it correctly. I think like that's one of the issues with Paul is, is everything he had written and known about God he had in one frame of mind. And so as you're learning in humbleness, in light of the cross, uh, and you're studying scripture, um, it's very important to have the right mindset or heart set, we'll call it. And so uh, it's very, very important because uh, you could turn into a kind of a mean guy with scripture. I think it's all written out of the voice of anger. Uh, or you can go the other way. Uh, you can you can overdo it and uh, turn uh, the view of God into a kind of the fluffy Jesus uh, the soft Jesus. And so uh, it's important that you learn it diligently, but you learn it with, with the correct mindset. Yeah, there's uh, this great passage of scripture because this Second Timothy 2.15, you know, being diligent to be a good student of the scriptures, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's kind of an important verse for um, us and our background coming from a a family, a tribe of Christians where we, we put a high value on studying through the scriptures. So, you know, I grew up in a church and you grew up in a church mm-hmm. where that was an important part of the church. But one of the downsides to that is, and I think that I've certainly experienced it. And I know from talking to you, you've, you've seen it as well. We can fall into that pattern where we just become really good debaters and arguers about the Bible. And so you can know the Bible so well. And then the, the other part of the passage we went through talked about not striving about words to no profit and then shunning profane and idle babblings. So I found it really interesting when I was studying through this passage that the exhortation, <clears throat> pardon me, I found it interesting that the, the exhortation to rightly divide the word of truth is sandwiched in between these two verses about not arguing about the Bible, which is a problem. People can fall into a pattern of just kind of being really good debaters about the Bible. So let's pull this apart without arguing. How's that sound? Do we argue much about the Bible? We actually don't. We probably should. I think the problem so. is you and I agree a little too much about the Bible. No, I don't. I don't think it's an agreement. I think it's like I'm willing to listen to this and go. What evidence do you have for that? Hmm. I'm going to consider that. I, yeah. You said something really important one time. I heard you say one, one time. One time. One time. I it said was something so very rare. Important. It stood out. How long have we like been together the, now? Yeah, Five years. Yeah. Statue. It was like the Statue of Liberty in the middle of the harbor. Uh, one the thing. Beacon, stood the beacon out. of hope. Yes. And you thought finally he said something worthwhile. Yeah. Well, no, you say a lot of worthwhile. That's good. So I'm going to give you that, but. You talked about having a humble orthodoxy, I think ah, is what yeah. you called it. I even I even combined the words humbledoxy. Humbledoxy. That's not a word. Kind of ghetto. I like it's that. It's good. I like that. Yeah. 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 I'm holding a, a humbledoxy. It's my own lingua franca. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I made my own language. The language demiles. Yeah. Yes. If you start speaking <laughs> Elvish, you're out of here, bro. I don't know Elvish. I'm not that... I won't go there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Lord I'm of the not Nerds. That awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, but no, I think to humbly always have that heart where you can be taught and we know the basics of scripture, but to always have that, that heart where you, there may be the things you weren't at a maturity level to accept at one time or, or this or that. And uh, it's important to have that open heart, and that open mind, and then reconcile that with scripture and then uh, one of the things i know we talk about with theology is there's always an end to a certain theological bent most of them and uh what is that ending and i think you had a really good point too is uh wisdom is known by her children i read that somewhere yeah that's one of my favorite little phrases from the gospels where yeah jesus makes the comment wisdom is justified by her children so the outcomes of something is really really important yeah i i mean it's it's a high value in the churches that we grew up in and in our church here uh, I grew up in this church that we're part of here, but it's a high value that we put an emphasis upon studying and teaching the Bible. <clears throat> but at the same time, we need to all, also encourage humility in that so that people don't just get into an area of striving about words to no profit. Well, at, you know, in, you know, in any given church of, you know, 10 million churches on Sunday, um, I'm sure there are certain people that can fall into the trap that we have the real gospel and there's only one way to look at this and we're the only right ones and that's not a good place to be no and it kind of leads into well all these questions have have to do basically with that so first question here is if there is a person who likes to dispute over the bible in my small group bible study how should i approach them (laughs) 
I, I think that that's certainly something that I have seen over the years. I've been involved in a lot of small group Bible studies over the years, and there there does seem to sometimes be some who they count it as like a spiritual gift to be able to argue. Uh, it's not a spiritual gift to be able to argue. It's probably more a part of a work of the flesh. I'm going to go now. I'm Mr. Practical Experience. Mm-hmm. So I always relate like, what, how's this, have I seen this in my life? And how have I seen this in other people's lives and doing ministry and having a lot of contact with people? And I just remember being at certain home fellowships are a place that uh, I might have heard one or two heretical teachings there. One or two. And people get on their own bents, and, and I get that. But I, I used to joke around with my wife. We go, I go, always worry about the guy in the room who wants to argue with everybody about Scripture and knows everything about the Bible and has to let everybody know that because many times he's trying to convince himself. And sometimes it's, it's masking something. It's a personality thing. And so the person who is always has to prove their point and always has to come out on top of the argument, it's just it, it's not helpful. It's yeah. not, it's not helpful. And, um, typically I mean, there's something there deep people. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Sometimes there are people that I've seen this when you have a new person come to a group that's established. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they feel uncomfortable out of place. They kind of don't know where they fit. And so out of, uh, feeling uncomfortable, they compensate by saying a lot. So sometimes it's just kind of like, Hey, it's a personality thing. It'll work it out. But there are other times where it's, it can be an, an arrogance or a self-assurance thing. This person thinks that they've got every answer. And so they've got to be heard. I just talk about me and make jokes. How's that working? Great. Spectacular. Yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, and then, I mean, there are some people that are just very extroverted. I don't know any of those people at this office at all. None. None. Not Everybody here is a very quiet introvert. We barely talk to one another. I know, kind of just stare at each other. I mean, I'll search for days here to find an opinion. <laughs> There is a word I do know how to say. I do know what it means. I don't think I know how to spell. We need to look it up. Facetious. 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 That's also not a spiritual gift. It isn't. But no. that's, that's my sense of humor. Now, we've had this conversation several times before. Is sarcasm a spiritual gift? Biblically, no. <laughs> probably not. Um, it's probably, I don't know. I, you know, it's sarcasm. Let's see. Is it used in the Bible? Not I mean, the actual word, but... Yeah. No, but I mean, like... I, he, I think Paul was kind of sarcastic. I do, and I think... I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and maybe it's just the translation. So let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Uh-huh. I mean, he is saying one thing, but meaning something totally different. What a great truth. And You ever have those aha uh-huh moments? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm like, the first time I read that, I'm like, oh, Jesus, that was awesome. Like, we need a T-shirt. That is awesome. It's one, It just, it got me. The first time I heard that, I'm like, oh, man, he put these guys in his place. And I have to say, I do have a sick joy. Of it's kind of like when he's talking with the Pharisees and the scribes. I was just reading through this in the, uh, we're going through, finishing up the book of Matthew and the, the listening plan this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love when Jesus says things like, have you not read the scriptures? And he's talking to the scribes. These are the guys who yeah, they copy, wrote they, yeah. they copy yeah. the scriptures. Xerox. They work yeah. for Xerox. Yeah, they did right. this. Yeah. Xerox yeah. circa first century. Yeah. Have you not read the scriptures? You're good at copying them. Have you not read the scriptures? That That's a good question. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, the whitewashed sepulchers. That whole passage in Matthew 23 is spectacular. So I, is that sarcasm? It might be. Yeah. Holy sarcasm. I love the whole thing. I mean, Holy when he's sarcasm. talking with his disciples about, you know, um, remove the, the beam from your own eye, and then you can see clearly. To, that's I, funny stuff. You know what? I'm, I'm starting to think there is a holy sarcasm. Yeah. Man, I feel, I feel as a, a great weight has been lifted off me. I, there's one from Paul that I really like. I was just looking at it in Galatians chapter 5 just a few minutes ago. Um, but it's, it's kind of a little off-color. Like the actual translation of it when he's talking about these these guys who are coming into the new gentile christians in in galatia and trying to convince them to become circumcised and paul says i wish they would just cut themselves off and the language is very clear what he's actually saying 
Yeah, they're t- taking a whole step yeah. further. I'll just leave it at that. Do you think he's being sarcastic? I think maybe. Yeah. Paul had the gift of sarcasm. There you go. And and we're going to do this one day. We got to do all the crazy stories in the Bible. Yeah. There's a lot of them. There are some crazy stories in this the Bible. This is not a G-rated God has book. a sense of humor. He makes us think. He does. So if there was a person in a small group Bible study and they were dominating the time and they like to dispute, how do you deal with them? Well, I think for one, you can pull them aside in private and like encourage them to shut up. Maybe not with that word, because uh, I teach my kids not to necessarily say that to one another. Oh, really? We just threw that out all the time. Did you? <laughs> oh, yeah. English and Spanish. Cayete! Yeah. Yeah. And we're not even Spanish, but it's a great word. Yeah, so you can encourage them to... Um, that that old saying, you know, you have two ears and one mouth, and uh, listen more than you speak. And the tongue is a rudder, which... James. I'm from a seafaring family, and like, dude, the tongue is a rudder. One little small member that can cause all kinds of problems. Yeah. I, I How big a forest fire such a small fire can kindle. Yeah. Well, see, like I had training for small group training mm-hmm. when I first got into the small group. And they and, actually do train you to deal with those yeah. time dominators. And so, because I was thinking trash bag and chloroform. Wow. You know, take him out to the back and, you know. Or just don't give them the time of the next home. You fellowship. were a new Christian. I was. Yeah. I was barely saved. Gotcha. Uh, or don't give them the time for the one next week. Uh huh. And you know, get them off weeks and, and get the message. But no, you could do the passive aggressive approach. They teach this one. How about we hear from some other people today, Mark, in front yeah. of everybody? Yeah. Or the other one is uh, that was really great, but that you know that wasn't in the questions. Let's get yeah. to the questions. That one was always fun. That was that was happy one. I my encouragement off to the side because you want to restore people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you want uh, them to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Just say you know, it's obviously to me that you have a great handle on the scriptures. If he doesn't, I don't tell him that. I'd say it's obvious to you that you read your Bible a lot, but this is one of the things is to bring this out in other people is to to encourage them to speak. You obviously don't have a problem, you know, giving and participate. We need to get some other people out of their shells so that they can grow. That's such a gracious and compassionate way to deal with it. It's totally opposite of what I'm thinking. I'm thinking trash bag and chloroform, but I'm trying to do that. Now, this is for a mean guy. A nice person, like I said, sometimes they just get a little nervous. Nice. You got to have grace. On the other side of that question, we have one here. How do I know if I am fixated on something that is un- helpful because the passage of scripture talked about you know not falling into these things striving about words to no profit so how do we know if we are fixated on something that is unhelpful i had a really bad experience with it did you my personally yeah i had gotten saved i mm-hmm. wasn't part of a church and i fell in with a bunch of christians that were really focused on the end of the world and they were listening to a prophet back in Texas. Because all the weird prophets come from Texas in the United States. They got the thick accent. They sweat. They throw... Anyway, this guy had cassette tapes. And What's they... a cassette tape? I know. I'm just kidding. It's this little white thing. Know. You can rewind them with a pencil and repair them. Not like a CD that we don't use anymore anyway. But I like to see you try to repair a thumbnail drive with... Uh, you know, thumbnail drive yeah with, that was very like senior citizen yeah i know a I, thumb drive thumb, thumb drive yeah <laughs> uh yeah i'd like to see you repair anything with scotch all tape. of my stuff is in the cloud not on a thumbnail drive. there you go one day when the big one hits it's all gonna it's all toast actually at this point i think we're all kind of rooting for the big one like uh, an yeah. emp blast to destroy all of it would that mean that all of the banking issues would go away too like my mortgage would just disappear let me tell you what wouldn't be shut down is the taco shops, and that's all I need. Pretty much. I mean, if I can go to church and go to the taco shop, I can live. So anyway, I was involved in this ministry, and these people were going to go hole up in the hills with ammunition and more guns than you could carry. And Red Dawn. Make our own bacon, and which I was down with the bacon making. But uh, it was this very, it was a movement that was very selfish. It was not evangelical at all, and it was, it played on people's fears. And as you begin to look around at other people's lives and the lack of joy that a teaching like that has, this end of the world 
scary, got to be scared uh, the whole time. It lacked a confidence and a joy in my own life, and it wasn't a healthy in health of my myself. And so, I think if you're looking around and you're really far out of the norm, if you're the only guy in the room that has that really weird opinion, if you're um, uh, it doesn't jive with the whole scripture. If you're focused on any particular verse, and that just becomes your thing, and you and I have both seen See, this I in think, ministry. I think you can tell, number one, if you're fixated on something that's not helpful. If your entire thought process or your entire idea that you're fixated on comes from YouTube videos and not the Bible, you might be off on something that's not exactly what you're going to be helpful. Well, that's one of the, they set. used to call yeah. it newspaper eschatology. Right. Now we call it YouTube eschatology. Yeah. And that's really sad. Cause you and I both know that people who were sweet saints, um, got into a place where they started to really buy all this stuff. And it was the teachings of men. And it's a very, um, me centered, uh, gospel, we'll call it, or a, a current event centered gospel. And gosh, we're looking at something that's over 2000 years old. Mm-hmm. with real life people and um we need to not be so concerned with that yeah you know you made a comment when you were talking about the thing with the texas uh, cassette tapes um that one of the things you started to notice is you didn't have joy and the first thing that comes to my mind is that if the thing that you are fixated on because i think we would agree it's a good thing to be fixated upon christ uh, colossians paul says set oh. your mind on things above where christ is seated so absolutely so to be fixated on christ is good so there's certain things that are good to be fixated on but there are other things that are not so the thing that comes to mind is if the thing that we are fixated on is leading to a lack or a deficit of the fruit of the spirit, this is probably not a good thing to be focused on. Right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Paul said, you know, the, the fruit of the spirit, this Galatians five twenty two and 23, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, these sort of things, patience. So if, uh, if I'm focused on Christ, then I'm going to see the growth of love, joy, peace, kindness, mm-hmm. gentleness, self-control. But if I'm focused on, um, you know, a, a teaching that is oriented upon myself, you know, kind of a prosperity thing, or it's, it's focused on end times thing. If it's just decreasing joy and peace and patience and kindness, then it might be an indication that it's not a helpful persuasion. Well, and it, it, these teachings are never encouraging you to go store up food and do this and that for other people. It's always a self-preservation thing. Yeah, that's that's just point. one point of a bad teaching. Um, there, you and I both seen that people with, they want to go back to the old Testament diets Mm -hmm. and that becomes their God. That's all they can talk about. And there's no joy Mm -hmm. and everybody's looking at them like, bro, you're weird. I love bacon. (laughs) And, um, I'm going to confess. We're talking about, I love bacon. It's great in all its forms and we can have it. It is good. We can. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, that same passage in Galatians 5 that deals with the uh, the fruit of the Spirit, that we should have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. At the beginning of that passage, Paul's dealing with a group of Christians that were being pulled away towards something that was not the gospel necessarily, or not at all. And, and Paul says to them there in this passage that this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. So it's not, mm. God's not the one who's calling you this, to this. You've kind of placed mm. this thing upon yourself. And so, uh, you know, I think sometimes people, they they can be, sidelined and derailed from those things that are ultimately going to produce the fruit of the spirit in their life and uh, not helpful. Yeah. And a really good question. If you're, you know, doing the self confrontation thing is, is this leading me towards Christ or is this leading me towards the law? And um, we gravitate towards the law. We like the law because in our heads, I think we can gauge how well we're doing. Are we getting an A or a B today? Right. And um, that's not how it works. Mm Mm-mm. So, so another question here, what should I do if another Christian questions a practice or belief of our church? So, you know, this is getting into those arguments over, you know, teachings, doctrines, ideas. What should I do if another Christian questions is questions that practice? Uh, first thing that comes to my mind is to be gracious and humble and kind. Um, I think that those general characteristics. I mean, I'm trying to instill those in my kids, Mm -hmm. be gracious and humble and kind and patient. Patience is good. That generally speaking in a lot of situations, just doing that by God's grace is going to be really helpful. Yeah. And I, I, you know, the spirit of Matthew 18, if you look into Matthew 18 and it's encouraging you like, go to the brother first, don't go to somebody else. The guy's already in the wrong because he's, he's asking somebody else about it. I'm really big on like, if the pastor said this, go ask him. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, in, in, 
I guess I was thinking about this in the context of like, let's say you in your workplace, you have a another person who's a Christian, but they go to a different church. They mm -hmm. believe something you don't believe. But you bring up a good point. Like if you're sitting in church and you've got a certain position or idea and the pastor teaches something that maybe you don't agree with. And yeah, the Matthew 18 thing, go clear it up, try and figure it out. It might be a misunderstanding on your part. Very well could be. And then and, and one thing you're really good at and I totally disagree with is you always think the best about people. And I always just assume, oh, they're going to be wrong and mean. Maybe that's because I always deal with wrong and mean, a lot of wrong and mean people. But anyway. I hope not. No, I, I, I love them. But uh, you always assume the best about somebody. Like, Most of there's the time. an explanation. You, you know, you're, pre I, I'm, you're pretty good at that, I have to say. You know, I am humbled in your presence on that one. <laughs> um, and I'm always thinking, nah, they're up to something. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I probably need to be better about that. But, but I think trying to think the best about the person and then go and talk to him and like, did I hear that right? And that's always a good way to go about it. Did I hear you right on this? Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, say, and then ask the person to explain and hear what their understanding is because they might've got a hold in a bad piece of scripture or. Yeah. So uh, often things are miscommunicated or misunderstood. Right. And, uh, I, again, um, I'm willing to admit that I am not always right. You know, I mean, there I are can, other people that might hear this. I know. That's okay. okay I am not yeah. always right. Yeah. My wife's not listening, but anyway. She might. She Actually, you know what she says? Huh. She says, I'm a very frustrating person to live with because she says you're always right. Like, you don't get emotional and mean and say things. You just, you logic. And I, you know, I go into Spock mode when I'm in an argument. I try not to get. I can't do that thing. There he was go. just logical. He didn't get say things out of anger. And I'm like, there you go. Star Trek illustrating a biblical concept and best practice. Be angry, but sin not. That is a good, good thing to do. Yeah. So, Be angry and do not sin. Yeah. So I think always when these, these little things come up, spirit of restoration, spirit of peace, spirit of unity, Lord ask, is this biblically correct? Lord, am I doing this in love? And the third one is, how will this help the kingdom? Those are three really good questions I try to ask myself when I have to confront something that I believe is not right. I always try to ask myself those questions to center me to make sure I do not become part of the problem. Well, and then the whole thing of, uh, you know, what should I do if another Christian, I'm sorry, another Christian questions the practice or belief of the church, it kind of leads into the next two questions that have to do with the issue of primary, secondary, tertiary. Tertiary. Uh, can you explain what is primary, secondary, tertiary doctrines? And then the other question that was very close to that is what are the typical theological things or what are typical theological things that people argue about that are non-essential? So when you have a discussion with another believer, you know, in your family, your neighbor, or a friend who doesn't go to the same church that you do, or they don't have the same view on a passage that you do, a lot of times you need to determine is this actually even a biblical issue because a lot of the things that people christians argue about are not biblical a lot of times they can just be uh traditions of the church that they're a part of they can be cultural things they can be customs and not necessarily a theological or doctrinal issue i have found that a lot of the times the disagreements that i've had with people from other churches had very little to do with the bible and more to do with a custom or a tradition of that church now you've been to israel correct oh yeah okay several times so I've been a few times, but like the, my first trip to Israel is I'm walking in the streets and, and going places and uh, eating a legit Israel bagel. It doesn't look nothing like yeah, those things those we serve good. here. That bread at the is, Joppa Gate. Oh, that bread is Man, there's good. that guy with the bread cart at the Joppa Gate. I always tell people, we're going to go to this Joppa Gate, and you're going to have some bread, and you're going to like it. Yes, and if you're really score, you're going to get some of that uh, Arab coffee. Oh, oh goodness, oh, Turkish coffee. Life-changing. Man, Make sure you don't gulp that sucker. It's got the been there, done the, that. The dregs at the bottom. That's okay. it's like it's, mud at the bottom it's, of the coffee. Yeah, it's like drinking chewing tobacco. But it, is, it was good. It is jet fuel coffee. Like there's like less than an ounce, and that I thought it was the spirit had come upon me, and it was the second cup. I was, was warned that not. You know, to I talked ahead. to this guy in Israel, and I mm -hmm. said, you know, I haven't seen any Starbucks here, and he goes, yeah, Starbucks didn't succeed because they don't serve that kind of coffee. Right. Starbucks was not missional. They didn't understand being culturally sensitive. They didn't. They blew it. So they blew it. So first time in Israel. Yeah. And getting to like get my head screwed on straight and, you know, going through Hezekiah's tunnel and Ooh, cool. walking, you know, around and seeing some of the places. And then we spent some time in Nazareth, which is really cool. I know usually the tour buses blow right by Nazareth. 
But I just remember uh, one morning in Nazareth, small town, Jesus' hometown, eating one of these bagels, drinking a cup of coffee, sitting on the second story of this cafe and looking out. And it just occurred to me, this is a 2,000-year-old teaching, a literally a Middle Eastern religion, if you want to call it that. Uh-huh. And the gravity of the fact that John Wayne was not in the Bible, this is not an American gospel, that this happened in Israel. Did you mean Charlton Heston? Well, John Wayne was in uh, was in the robe. He was in Jesus movies. Oh, I've n- I've never seen this. Movie. Oh yeah, he was a centurion. Oh wow! And he goes, "Truly, this man was the Son of God." That was his only line. That's awesome because most of the time in like a Bible movie, people have British accents. But I don't think John Wayne could no, have he, done a British accent for a million dollars. No, he just he went he went uh, he didn't say Pilgrim, but it was John Wayne. Nice. But so I, I realized, like, I got to rethink all this stuff, right? And it's, it's really easy, and I love America, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but it's really easy as an American to think of the Bible through and the events of Jesus' life and the, the gospel story as an American thing, and it's not American. It's not American-made? No, not born in the USA. Whoa. Yeah, Israel. Hecho in Israel, as we mm. would say, but made in Israel. And But they uh, did speak in King James English, right? Verily, verily, I say unto you, no, <laughs> not a word. No. So just the fact that, you know, just penciling through that and like it, it kind of messed me up for a few days in a good way. I mean, this is one of the first lessons that you teach someone when you're doing a, a class on how to study the Bible, mm-hmm. what we call hermeneutics. I yeah. got it, but. But you, you got to teach them that you're trying to figure out what this, what are, what is the author's intent here, which means you gotta, you gotta understand this is a two to 3000 year old document written in a different language, in a different culture that is very far away from the culture and language that you live in. I'm big on Herman Munster. I get it. It was good. (laughs) It was, yeah, I got it, but I didn't know that's where that came from. That's good. I mean, I know now I do, but, but it's just, yeah. And then just that outlook. And so I say that to say, if you think you have the one true picture of how this all went down and your brother down the street at the church that's just a little bit different from you, uh, if that becomes your commonality becomes less than the things you do not have in common, that's not a good thing. That, that's, not a, that's not illustrating how we walk uh, with the Lord and what he has put out for us. Yeah. I mean, as we said earlier, you need to be gracious and humble and kind and patient when dealing with people. There are, you know, and we need to decide, we need to use the scriptures and use good study techniques, rightly divide the word of truth to determine what is an essential doctrine. What is a secondary, still important, Mm -hmm. but maybe not essential doctrine. And then what are things that are, have more to do with preference than they do with, scripture at an, and then you know understanding that those are not necessarily points that divide if you will unfortunately they divide a lot of churches but they right. they shouldn't be but i mean right. so essential doctrines the things i mentioned on sunday there were four of the things that i mentioned on sunday the deity of christ being the first one the mm-hmm. sufficiency of his death the the truth or veracity of the resurrection and then that salvation is in christ alone that and by grace through faith so so those four things are are absolute essentials that you know christ is god and that his death is sufficient to deal with our sin and that he did actually raise from the dead paul makes that very clear in first corinthians 15 that if jesus isn't raised from the dead then we're still dead in our sins and that salvation is by christ christ and by his grace Mm -hmm. so those are really important essentials um there are other ones that that i would think of that would fall into essential important doctrines things like the virgin birth that has a lot to do with jesus's deity as well like in fact the the first conflicts in the church that had to be dealt with with councils where the councils got to the whether they're putting together the council of nicaea or these other councils they a lot of them had to do with the nature of who christ was you know his his deity his humanity so they're dealing with those issues right and, and part of the snide remarks and attack on the deity of christ was happening while he was still alive with uh the way they even phrased uh mary just the, the way that they they put it in a light that they were because of there was question yeah, around they his, questioned birth, his birth yeah the born of a virgin thing uh-huh. and, and so yeah it's something that we need to have 
absolutely nailed down and be solid in that. I'd put also probably in the uh, essential doctrines category, the the Trinity, the triune nature of God. Right. So what's the nature of God? And then um, the the nature of Scripture, you know, the inerrancy of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, um, the authority of Scripture. So th- those things are essential things for for belief. But then, you know, getting into the things that are are still important, but they're not essential for salvation. You know, the first thing that really comes to my mind is the issue of sacraments. There are two sacraments that we observe as Protestant Christians, baptism and communion. But, you know, we know God-loving, Bible-believing Christians who practice communion and baptism different than we do, but they're still Christians. Right. I figure we're going to talk about this sooner or later, but there's the, the biggest, the one we hear all the time, I'm not going to mention them for a second. Every doctrine or bad doctrine or good doctrine, every theological bent has a, you know, two plus two equals something, has an equal, an action that you come to the road on because of that theological bent or uh, the super adherence to a theological bent. So a hyper uh, adherence to that. So I'll name an action. You tell me what... What what which one this came from? So, I'm not going to pray for other people because uh, God's got that all figured out. Whatever happened is going to happen. Yeah, kind of leaning a little too far towards God's sovereignty. Correct, and that's a Calvinistic teaching. Okay. Yeah. Um, God's not involved with this at all, and I really need to you know do these works, and I really need yeah. to be really on top of this. My responsibility, Arminianism. Yeah. Hyper. Yeah, it'd be kind of like. Two extreme ways of looking at it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go minister to that guy or try to lead that guy to Christ because, you know, if God wants him to be led to Christ, he's going to be led to Christ somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, What's just that? getting rid of responsibility. More on a hyper-Calvinistic, maybe straw-manning it, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you could play a game show all day with that, probably, uh-huh. and uh-huh. go back and forth. But that's a big one that comes up in the church a lot because um, depending on your pastor's bent, uh, things are going to be illustrated a certain way. Um, things will, behaviors will be uh, affirmed and mm-hmm. words will be affirmed or uh, the opposite. I, I will say, you know, being a part of Calvary Chapel, uh, probably within the last 10 years, it was it was closer to 10 years ago, there were those within the Calvary Chapel movement that were really making a big deal about uh, the issues of Calvinism and Arminianism. And I understand partially why they were making that big deal, but I think it's really important for us to recognize, and I say this a lot when I'm teaching, to recognize that both of these things are taught in the scriptures, the responsibility of man, the sovereignty of God, and that when we come to passages that, that teach those things, we need to emphasize that God is sovereign and he's sovereignly decreed that we have responsibility. So, right. but yeah, but these shouldn't be things that we necessarily divide on. They're important. Like, I think it's really important that God is sovereign. Yes. And then uh, the one of the challenges too is just like a lot of times there's a person attached to this. Mm-hmm. And we have to be really careful because there's a person and God values people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, right? Hold that thought. Oh, man, we got somebody really important calling in on the hotline. Okay, Charles Spurgeon. Yeah. Prince of Preachers. Chuck, Chuck Spurgeon and just great writings, great teachings, very intelligent. Uh, the, no pastor has ever been in any pulpit position and probably not read his commentaries. Uh, lectures to my students, a lot of wisdom there. I don't necessarily agree with, uh, he has a a little bit more of a Calvinistic bent. I don't necessarily agree with that. And, uh, but I'm not Charles Spurgeon. I'm not going to burn his books. Wait, you're not Charles Spurgeon? I am not. Oh. I'm in way better shape. And I don't have a beard. (laughs) You need a beard. No, I can't do the beard. Oh, that's a bummer. No, no, no. But I mean, we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So right, to speak. right. You know, you're going to yeah. find his books on pastor's shelves. And, um, you know, you can be wrong about one thing, if that's wrong, and uh, still be very relevant and useful and used by God. Uh, you know, nowhere in Scripture does it say we're going to be 100% right other than. But yeah, so Jesus. this. But this doesn't fall under the essential. Although there. Okay. I made the I made the comment on Sunday in one of the services. I don't think I said it in all of them. If you take a truth and you make it the truth, then it becomes a lie. Now, I think that that's kind of taken it to an extreme. But if you emphasize entirely God's sovereignty or, on the other side of the coin, human responsibility, then it can it can certainly lead you into a place where you uh, it can affect the way you you live out your Christian faith. Like you mentioned, in the areas of evangelism, in the areas of prayer, 
it, or in the areas of your your good works. So, and I, I you know I didn't bring it up because it's never happened. No, they're important things, yeah. but they're not essential. So in the other areas of secondary doctrines, things that I would say are important but not essential, um, I would say issues regarding the creation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that. Obviously, the Bible teaches that God is creator, and Christians have believed for as long as there have been Christians that God created everything that we see from nothing. So he created from nothing. Now, there are really good Christians who believe that God created things according to a six-day literal, you know, Mm -hmm. six literal days of of creation. Then there are other people who hold to an old earth position. So you have old earth, and then you have young earth, and then you have things like, we won't get into what all these mean, but gap theory and the day-age theory and the uh, uh, theistic evolution that God just allowed evolution to take his place, but he was the first cause. So we all believe that God is creator. He created everything out of nothing. Uh, but there are good God-loving Christians that have different interpretations or views on creation. That's not essential for salvation. Can I just tell you something? When huh. my wife brings out the smoking, hot, glorious just tray of chocolate chip cookies yeah i never once asked her how long they took to bake it just doesn't (laughs) matter there you go there's there you go there's my evolution theory right there you heard it from me the chocolate chip cookie theory nice yeah we'll we'll call that the mark Childers. that would be an apt theory from mark childers i'm I'm good with that i'm good with that i'm gonna so another me another secondary important but not essential doctrine would be issues of how we interpret scripture having to do with a literal interpretation versus a figurative interpretation. What I mean by that is that um, this would especially apply to like the first 11 chapters of the book of the Bible of Genesis, because there are some people who take a figurative approach. They, they don't believe that there was a real Adam and Eve or a real garden of Eden or a real Noah and the ark or a real tower of Babel. Now, I tend to be one who holds a more literal interpretation of those passages, but there are Christians who love Jesus and are good Christians who have a, they take a more figurative interpretation on those things. I'm with journey, man. Don't stop believing. Same thing with eschatology. Eschatology is an issue of uh, secondary important, but not essential. Um, Some of the views on the person and work of the Holy spirit. Some of the views are essential, but some of them are uh, areas of uh, non-essential. Like for example, there are some people who don't believe that, certain gifts are in use today. And uh, one of those, that we call them cessationists. One of those guys is a guy that I know and love uh, his Bible teaching very well. John MacArthur holds a, a cessationist view. He's a great Bible teacher. I disagree with him on that. Um, but it doesn't make him less of a Christian or it doesn't make me less of a Christian that I, I am a continuationist and believe that the gifts are still in operation today. He just needs some chocolate chip cookies. He does. Yeah. That would make him a lot more happy. I'm just saying it's a gift and it was given in the spirit. God has sovereignly decreed that we would be a people who know and love chocolate chip cookies. Well, I mean, you know, but I don't eat them cause they're not made of meat. Yeah. You're how's that meat diet working out for you? Spectacular. Yeah. You lost some weight, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're starting to grow fur and like, you know, <laughs> it's starting to look more like a lion every day, but you know, that's okay. I mean, it's good. It's all good. That's one diet. I think I could stick to. I've been able to do it five months. Wow. And you're, everything's, you're, you look healthy. It's all good. Beef jerky's good. I like beef jerky. Well, maybe it's the fact that your food is eating its vegetables. I kind of feel that way. You know, my food eats vegetables and I eat the animals. And so they got the veggies. I'm getting them one way or another. I hope, you know, you know, the funny one is, and it's always, it's always a female that says this to me. Aren't you afraid you're going to get scurvy? Like, do you know anybody who's ever had scurvy in like, isn't that something that's at least like 150 years ago? I mean, it's well, in the it, pirate movies. Urgh, I got the scurvy. Well, it was the, <laughs> it uh, was a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sailors, they, right. they didn't, you know, have, uh, but they weren't eating meat either. I yeah. mean, you know, so they weren't getting that. And that's where they came up with the term, I believe, limey. Yes. Because the limes would keep on a boat and you just chew on that a little bit and you're not going to get scurvy. Yeah, there you go. So we'll have um, to look that up on Wikipedia. The last recorded case of scurvy in Escondido, California was last week because I ate too much meat for five months. Okay. So, uh, other secondary, but not essential doctrines, uh, positions of church government. Um, so yeah, people's view on church government, elders versus bishops versus congregationally led versus pastoral led. Um, those are important issues, but they're not essential. 
I, you know, I, I've, I haven't been to a church that has every different kind of church doctrine, but as you really, or excuse me, government. But if you look at each one of them, they all have benefits. Yeah. And they all have pitfalls. Yep. And uh, ultimately, that church has got to be governed by the Spirit of the Lord and by... You know, this uh, highlights one of the big big dangers that I think every person can end up having right. is that, like, let's say you are a part of a church and you are sol- solidly engaged in a church that is an elder-run church. One of the dangers that we can fall into mm-hmm. in any one of these things is that we have blind spots, and the big thing about a blind spot is you don't have you don't know that you have a blind spot, so you don't you never see the the downside. So I think you're right. Every one of these uh, forms of church government can have really good points, and uh, one of the things is that we fail to acknowledge when there are areas where there are deficits in those. So right, well, they all involve people. Yeah. So just some basic ones. We have the um, mosaic model. Right, we have the um, the pastor runs the church, and yeah. and uh, everybody looks to him for that. And so, how's that work? What's the good part about that? Uh, it makes things quick. You make decisions and move quickly. Yeah, and then what's one of the pitfalls? Uh, you can get a dictator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is certainly a, certainly a problem. Right, and then we have our, our own church government here. Right. Yeah, because is... there was a question about what kind of church government do we have at our church. Um, that's a great question because nobody ever asked that. Yeah, I mean, we come from a Calvary Chapel background where it's pastor-led, but I would say we're more like staff-led and, you know, elder-approved. <laughs> that sounds like it's something you put on the it's side a, of a box, a of, a box cereal. of cereal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> staff-led, elder-approved. Elder oh, nice. <laughs> Kid-tested. Uh, but I like we have a bunch of great elders here. Yeah. And we don't have an adversarial relationship nope. with them, but they certainly have the ability to say, you know, we see it like this or I see it like this. Mm-hmm. We do that with one another. We pray. And when we go into these big decisions, uh, we're not afraid to talk to the church elders because they're men of you wisdom. Know, and I don't think we've ever had a big decision where any of the elders have said, yeah, I don't think that's a good plan. Right. Well, uh, you yeah. know, I think we try to we try to function by common sense and Biblically directed decision making. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we ever get the question. It hey, have you prayed good. about this? It <laughs> seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Right. It's one of those. Uh, one of my favorites uh, from Acts. Yeah. I like our church government here. We get things done fairly quickly, but with counsel and accountability, uh, that's pretty transparent. So I, I really I like it, and it works for us. Okay. What are tertiary doctrines? Third down the line that are. Uh, people make a big deal about, but the Bible does not make a big deal about. The first one that comes to my mind is what day of the week should you have church on? But now, of course, people make a big deal and try to point out in the Bible that it the Bible says the first day of the week, which right. is, you know, Sunday, mm-hmm. which that's what you can make the case in the Bible right. and Acts. And then there's other people who say, no, it's the seventh day of the week. And you can make the case from the Bible. And there are people who divide over this stuff. And then... Paul says, what about one day is holy and another is right, holy? Right, right. So um, one one person observes one day and another person is another, uh, observes another. Before right. the Lord, they stand. Yeah, because if you if you work every Sunday, you're not a Christian. How's that work? You know? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't work. So Argue, other, take it up with Paul. What other doctrines would we say are, uh, they're not even necessarily doctrines. They're not, a, not really biblical issues. They're issues of preference or tradition or culture. Gosh, I think I, styles and worship is one of them. Oh, definitely. Yeah, people get all bugged up about style of worship. Uh, yeah, because if you don't do hymns, or there was a time where it was like, oh my goodness, you have drums or an electric guitar. Those are of the devil, right? Um, Obviously, that's a long time ago. I I heard that there was that problem. Right. I now I'm, I I got I got I guess I have a tertiary okay problem. You almost said it perfect. Tertiary, tertiary, tertiary. Yeah. Um, I got a hairy Maybe old tertiary problem. I don't. I don't like worship leaders and you know the guy wearing the skinny jeans. So it's not style of worship; it is fashion of worship leader. I I just don't like it when people draw attention to themselves. So like, if you're wearing your wife's jeans, your daughter's shoes, and your grandpa's sweater, I'm distracted. I can't take you seriously. You just labeled like most most young hipster worship leaders. Right. Now, I didn't say I hate them. I just, I have a hard time. I, I'm, 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 it's and probably that's why there are thing. some churches that have like five different worship venues. So you can go to, uh, see some people like, this is an ongoing discussion in my house. My, my wife, um, 
She grew up in out in the deep country of Poway. Horses and spurs, the whole deal, huh? <laughs> it hasn't yeah. been country since 1879. But anyway. Um, Little so, known fact. Do you know that Wyatt Earp settled in Poway, California? Wow. Yeah. No way. Local guy. Yep. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yep. He, he I have settled a friend. in Poway, California. You're going to like this. I have a friend who pastors a church in Prescott, Arizona. And there is a gal in his church, and I want to say she's just like turned 100 years old. This church has been a, around for over 100 years. And she's been in that area in Prescott that entire time. Her family rented a home back in the day when she was a little kid from Wyatt Earp's family. There you go. Pretty crazy. You know what? I'd love to talk to her because she doesn't skip she a probably, church every time, you know, she doesn't like this or that or the, you know. the If the, the Arizona worst. Cardinals are playing, you mean she's probably still going to be at church? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And she's not going to get all fired up about skinny jeans and leave. Okay. So. Some other issues that people make a big deal about. Uh, the, the architecture of a building. Yeah. This is not a holy enough tilt-up building. Well, I, I've seen some, yeah. Like, it's got to have steeples. I know some people that don't want a church with towers because of a, some type of a mason thing they read about somewhere oh, on YouTube or something. Gotcha. Uh, but, yeah, church architecture. It's got to have glass. It's got to have stained glass. It's got to have steeples. Okay, here's another one. Have you run into this one? I can't go to this church because they have a children's ministry and not family services. I have. I have actually. Yeah. See, yeah, this I'm is an actually. issue of preference. It's not Bible. No, it doesn't make us bad people or it doesn't make us Although family most haters. of the time, the people that make a big deal about it, this stuff, they have some verse taken out of context to prove why that they hold this view. Yeah. It, it's, it's, and I'm sure there's churches like that that do that. I mean, I have a family. I realized the, I had realized the challenges when the kids were small and didn't want to go in Sunday school and they yeah. wanted to be with mom yeah, and dad. I get that. And we accommodate. We try to, that's here, for sure. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Okay, another question. Should I argue with the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses when they come to my door? Should I argue with them about Scripture? No. Yeah, I don't disagree on that. So I, I don't think you should argue with them about Scripture. No, not at all. I mean, I remember when there was a time when I got out my uh, Kingdom of the Cults book. Right. Walter Martin. Yeah, Wall, Wally Martin, man. You know, a big book. Me and Wally, we're we going to go at you. But um, I'll tell you where I'm at now when the, the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses uh -huh. come to the door. I want to portray the peace, the joy, the yes. love, and the grace right. that Christ has given me while I sorted out my bad theological issues, while I'm sorting out uh, my um, my sin and my deficiencies and realize he worked with me for a long time, you know, pre-Christian on those things. And so I want to have that same grace for them. So right. here's what I tell them. Mm -hmm. I, I just say, you know, guys, I'm not going to change what I believe. It is so solid. God's taken me too many places and shown me too many things. God's word is too inerrant. I believe it. It's part of me. I can't go anywhere else. I can't do anything else. I've seen the truth. But I'll tell you this. You came here this morning because you need to do this during your salvation. And I'll tell you, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. And one day, when you come to the end of a lie, if you've ever lived a lie, there's emptiness and there's sadness and there's lack of joy. And I says, you're going to experience that one day. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this address down. Put down really nice guy named Mark, coffee. And when you come to the end of that, you come to my house. I will open my door. We'll have a meal. We'll pray. And, and I will sit down and I'll talk to you and I'll tell you all about what Jesus has done in my yeah. life. And yeah. I want to restore you. And I and think that that's I, absolutely yeah. right. I mean, yeah, that's what I that comes to my mind. I don't want to argue with a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon on verses because they have, you know, a dozen or more verses that they're really passionate about trying to prove a certain point. Uh, we're never going to agree with them on that point. So arguing with them about those things that they've got in their little arsenal is not a, not a good plan, but I am going to share the gospel with them. Yeah. And you know, the gospel, I'm going to do the air quotes thing. The gospel that they are bringing is not good news. It's right. a, it's a message that brings, I think bondage. And so, you know, I can't accept the message that they're bringing because it basically exactly what you just said they're they're saying that they do not have assurance of salvation. I have assurance that I'm going to be with God forever in eternity. And they don't have that assurance without their good works. So, you know, as a result of that, uh, they're in bondage to try and knock on as many doors as they can to try and earn their salvation or a better standing with God. And so, you know, I think that we have a great gospel to share with them. And, you know, one of the questions I have asked a number of the people that have come knocked on my door, because, I mean, you have to appreciate the the commitment that they have to their faith. I mean, let's just be very, very honest. Mormons are some of the most committed givers when it comes to tithing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they are very committed to their their missionary work. Right. You got to you got to say, hey, they're doing a great job. Don't they check off like two years of their life to do their mission? Right. Yeah, yeah. all the guys do. Yeah. So, um, so it's I like it's like it's like military service in totally. Israel. Yeah. I appreciate their commitment, but you know uh, they're committed to uh, a view that is not it's not good news. And so I want to share with them the gospel and just say, hey, listen, you don't have assurance that if you died today you'd be with God. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can have that assurance in Christ Jesus, and uh, that's what the Lord wants for them. He wants to save Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and a lot of them come to faith in Christ. It's praise the Lord. Yeah, and I I think it's it's also really important to remember, like when you're trying to do a gospel ish message, you're going to run out of steam sooner or later. Yeah, if you're not acknowledging the saving power of Christ, and that it's by His grace that we can come to a place where we can go to be with Him forever. Um, if you're not acknowledging that, you're going to run out of gas. You're going to be sad, and you're going to you're going to lack joy, and you're going to be ineffective. Yeah. And uh, uh, you you know, hopefully that's sooner than later. Yeah, I mean, I. So I mean, I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. I've been walking with the Lord and serving the Lord for quite a few years. I'm still grateful every single day for God's grace and His forgiveness because I totally need His grace. If I, if it was dependent upon my my works, I would be toast. Yeah. So okay. Final question: How do I reconcile a relationship that is was broken because we had a different view on the Word of God? Man, I think this is a challenging question. Um, I know those kind of relationships. Seen that happen before. There are people that that uh, I don't have fellowship with today because they disagreed with me about a position on the Bible. And, uh, and it's not that I wouldn't be willing to have a, a restored relationship there. Um, I have discovered, and, and I'm sure you got some ideas on this as well. Sometimes with, with some people, you just have to sit down with them and say, Hey, I think on this point, we need to agree to disagree. We're never going to see the same on this, but we can still be friends. Uh, I mean, I don't have, I don't think I have a relationship with anybody where we agree on every single thing perfectly. You're married, right? Right. I, you know, I I kind of jotted down on here. I, I think this is what marriage is all about, learning how to live with someone that you don't agree with about everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unless you're always right. Well, I'm not, so. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I feel yeah, for yeah. Missy, though, because apparently you're always right. No, I just, you know, I'm glad she thinks that of me, but I try not to be. You're I mean, good at feigning rightness. Is that what it is? It's Maybe. like a, it's a fake rightness. It's a, yeah. It's... So you and your right superiority, my goodness. No, well, that's it. That that's what makes them mad. Is I don't try to be superior. I'm just yeah. like, no, this is just how it is. And this it's is amazing the, the how facts. much you can accomplish when you remain a level head. You yes. don't get loud. Mm-hmm. You're patient, and you're kind, and you're humble. And I don't think you can let the issue become more than important than the person. That's a great point. You know, I mean, gosh, we're all believers here. We're we're trying to move towards Jesus, and we're imperfect. And to to two brothers or brother and sister or two sisters to be divided over a disagreement in but scripture. It happens. It happens biblically all the I mean, time. You think of Paul and Barnabas. I mean, that's yeah. the most notable story that I can think of in the scriptures. You know, here you have these two guys who served together, who Barnabas was really instrumental in Paul's becoming a disciple and follower of Jesus at a strong level. Uh and then they go out and they do ministry together on the, the journey, the first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13. Then they get ready to go out on their second missionary journey, and they have this fight over Barnabas's nephew, John Mark, who happens to be the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. And they split ways, and we never have a resolution in the Bible anyway where it's like, hey, Barnab- Barnabas and I got together and we had some good uh, communion grape juice together. And there we you go, go, yeah. Uh, we never see that. Yeah, they're um, although we are going to see in the last verses of the the book we're going through right now, Second Timothy, that Paul mentions Mark right. as hey, he is useful, useful. in the ministry. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a sad thing. I think uh, I love that term. Let's agree to disagree. Yeah, uh, because the spirit of it is hey, we're, let's put this past us and let's get to what we're common on. Right, and um, but you, I, your point was really, really good that. Um, the person and the relationship's more important than me being right or, you know, especially if it's a non-essential thing. Right, 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 right. And it's, um, I know like from time to time, the, for some reason, the issue of alcohol comes up uh-huh. and there are some 
people that believe you absolutely cannot consume alcohol as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe scripture teaches that. Right. Um, now for that individual, that may very well be true. Yeah, exactly. If right. they've struggled with alcohol, if they've yep. been an alcoholic and, and, or from an alcoholic home and it, it, it's, it's a stumbling thing. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Don't, don't. And then don't try to stumble people if you do have that freedom in Christ. But I've seen people very divided over that and uh, gosh, it just shouldn't be so. So uh, humble, Doxy, humble orthodoxy. There you go. I like humbledoxy. We'll end the humbledoxy with that. Well, next week, I'm sure we'll have some great questions. We're moving on into Second Timothy, talking about vessels of honor and being useful to the master. So I think there's a lot of good stuff there. Looking forward to it. Wow, Des- vessels of dishonor. We'll talk about that too. That's for next week. All right, we're gonna have a, we're gonna talk about porta potties. That's a vessel of dishonor. I would say so. Yes. yes. But it's a necessary vessel. Uh, when you're camping, none finer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. We'll see you next week.